Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Here he is, the one, the only, that might be a relief to some, <laughs> Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Great. It's a nice day out there today. Spuds are being dug. Beets are being dug. Nice day. Were you ever involved in harvest, you know, for oh, yeah. the sugar beets and everything? Yeah, I grew up on a farm. Really? Yeah. So you know what it's like? Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. But it's a lot easier now from what I gather. Oh, yeah. You yeah. had to walk 37 miles to get to the field, didn't <laughs> in, you? In two feet of snow. Yeah, two feet of snow. <laughs> what are we going to do today? Well, we're going to talk about Lewis and Clark, and I'm going to talk about something that happened right at the beginning that could have totally changed the history of Lewis and Clark and the discovery of the West. You mean somebody pointed them east instead of west? Well, it could have happened. It could have ended right there. Oh, my. So here we are. First two weeks of September, the expedition gradually entered the country, where into the High Plains area. Wildlife became more abundant. Uh, there were herds of elk, uh, deer, plenty of deer, uh, birds, uh, buffalo became a common sight. Mm-hmm. The men pointed out what they called a goat, but they couldn't identify it, which I believe probably was a, uh, probably a, I don't know. A goat? A goat. Well, it might have been a mountain sheep or whatever. Yeah, I'm not I'm sure. They didn't, they're not sure. But anyway, okay. so here we are. If you can picture these guys moving their kill boat upriver, which required a tremendous amount of effort for each man, pulling on a rope, pulling that boat upriver. Yeah. So, you know, the, these guys ate a lot. So in comparison with beef, the venison and the elk were more lean and... Uh, so each soldier consumed up to nine pounds of meat per day. Wow. Along with whatever fruit or whatever else, cornmeal. It's like having the L.A. Rams with you. <laughs> yeah, and they still felt hungry even after eating all that. Yeah. So here they are there in Nebraska. The captains took a stroll to their astonishment. They found themselves in the middle of an extensive village of small animals that lived in tunnels in the ground. They were everywhere around them. The little animals would pop up, sit on the hind legs, and chatter. Mm-hmm. The captains brought some men to the side, and they tried to dig to the bottom of one of those tunnels. But after digging six feet, running a pole down the rest, they discovered that they were not even halfway to the animal's bed. They had five barrels of water that they brought up, and they poured it into a tunnel, which forced one of the animals out. He was killed and brought back to the keelboat so that a proper description could be written. Well, the voyagers informed the captain that these animals were... And there's a French word for it called petite chien, or prairie dog. Oh, I thought you were talking about chipmunks or gophers <laughs> no, or something. prairie dog. So, anyway, the animal was new to science, and the captains gave the prairie dog his first formal description. So, September 8th, we're going along. Lewis uh, went hunting. He killed his first buffalo, and the hunters brought in that evening two buffalo, a big elk, uh, one uh, fawn, three deer, three wild turkeys, and a squirrel. And a partridge and a pear tree. <laughs> and that's what they ate. Yeah. So, the next day... That was one day? Yeah. And the next day, Lewis uh, shot another buffalo. And then on the 14th, uh, Clark killed a goat, and he weighed and measured and described it. And it's actually, the, actually, this is what it was. It was the first description of the pronghorn or antelope. Oh, the antelope. Yeah. They hadn't seen one yeah, before. They hadn't seen those. So that afternoon, there's a guy named Private Shields that brought in a, what he called, quote, a hare of the prairie. A hare. A hare. Now, in this case, the white-tailed jackrabbit. Ah. <laughs> and intrigued 
by the animal. Lewis went out looking for the jackrabbit in its native habitat. A couple of days later, he found one, chased it, and made notes about the jackrabbit. And we could talk a lot about that in this part of the country years ago. Anyway. The bunny bop. Yeah. (laughs) We're not going to go there. (laughs) Anyway. Three Lewis documents written between September 14th and 17th in 1804 constitute almost all of his known writings for a full year. Now, this adds to kind of a mystery about lost or never written journals of Meriwether Lewis. Oh, that doesn't sound right. No, uh, he had to have written regularly. Oh, yeah. We we know that he did, but um, until these new journals are discovered, we don't know what happened. So... So they never have been found, right? No. So if they once existed, and they still may exist somewhere, uh, an important body of Lewis's journal entries. Um, but, you know, it's it's sad that possibly those are out there somewhere, and maybe they've been destroyed. We just don't know. Did he ever intimate in uh, writings after maybe he closed the book on one journal and started another one uh, that maybe there had been an accident or something? You or? know, from the writings, they really just do not know. I but see. he was, he wrote a lot every day. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, we do have a little bit here. Uh, uh, in fact, here he quotes, he says, This morning set out at an early hour, Killed a beautiful bird. Well, turns out this was a magpie. He killed a magpie. That is not a beautiful bird. <laughs> well, you and I know. but And then he quotes, he says, Vast herds of buffalo, deer, elk, and antelopes were seen feeding in every direction as far as the observer could teach. Uh, so, like I say, he wrote a lot, very uh, detailed information. Yeah. And then he talks about the uh, the burrows of the prairie dog. Uh, he says they appear to be just infinite in number, which they were. And then estimated number of buffalo, uh, 3,000 in one, one herd. Uh, they set off to kill a, a pronghorn. And he says, and he quotes this, he says he was struck by, and he quotes, the rapidity of their flight. Now, and he was right, because... It's generally concealed that the pronghorn is the fastest mammal in North America, second only to the cheetah, and pronghorns can reach a speed of 60 miles an hour over a short distance and can maintain 50 miles an hour for five miles. I wonder why a car company hasn't named one of their cars a, a pronghorn. <laughs> pronghorn, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, again... Uh, He didn't pick up his pen again until April 1805. Now, there's a big lapse. A big lapse, and, you know, it's sad that we may have lost Where was he at that time? They were still in the Nebraska area. So they spent how many years were they there? Um, Well, it was, what, 1803 through 1805, I believe. Yeah. So So two years in Nebraska. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to uh, try to pull themselves through the river. So anyway, over the next week, the expedition went ahead, uh, making 23 miles, then 25, then 23 miles in one day. Again, pulling that boat up the river. So September 23rd, they made 20 miles and camped. Uh, some men set up tents. And at this point, three teenage Teton Sioux Indian boys swam across to where uh, they were. And they told them that there was a band of 80 lodges camped at the mouth of the next river and a second band of 60 lodges a short distance above the first. Now, the captains gave the boys, and I'm not, I would like somebody to call in if they know what this means, gave the boys two carrots of tobacco. Do you know what that means? A two, carrot? A carrot of tobacco. 
Maybe that was an old way of saying maybe a plug, a or, plug or something yeah. like that. I'm not sure. Anyway, he they told them to inform their chiefs that the expedition would be coming up tomorrow for a council. Well, the expedition proceeded in the morning past a two-mile-long island where actually John Coulter, uh, with his horse, had been moving ahead to uh, hunt game for the camp. So there was somebody on the shore, and everybody else was on the water in the boat, or right. the, the barge yeah, they were, or whatever. Yeah, there were hunters and then some guys in the boat. But, okay. but Coulter had actually killed four ache. For, for elk. <laughs> um, you and your animals. <laughs> I'm getting tongue-tied here. So anyway, he loaded up the uh, elk, and uh, he ran up uh, the bank to shout that the Indians had stolen his horse. It's the only horse they had. Uh-oh. So soon after, the captain saw five Indians on the bank. They anchored the keelboat, and they spoke to the Indians. Now, the captains were pretty upset about this. They said they came as friends, but they were ready to fight if need be, and they warned them that they were not afraid of any Indians. Uh-huh. They told a little lie, saying that, that the stolen horse had been sent by the new father of the Red Children uh, as a present for the chief of the Tetons, which that really wasn't what they had the horse for. But anyway, the expedition arrived at the mouth of the next river at the site of the present town of Pierre, South Dakota. So, late in the afternoon, as a defensive precaution, the party anchored the keelboat off the mouth of the river. The captains put the party on full alert. Okay? In the morning, the captains prepared for a council. When the keelboat answers, uh, anchored 70 yards offshore, they had a, what they called a swivel gun yeah. that commanded uh, the site. It was uh, overlooking the Indians. Right. At 11 a.m., three chiefs and some warriors came in. And they were bearing large quantities of buffalo meat as a gift. The captains offered some pork, and then it was time to talk. And this might be a good spot for a break. It is, but we got a caller on the line. Okay, uh, caller, go ahead quickly with your question. Fast, go ahead. A carrot is a unit of tobacco because they used to have Tennessee twists that my father had to feed to the horses. You break them up. It was a dry tobacco. It would be similar to a cigar in size, but that's what was called a carrot. Well, I'll be right. darned. And it sounds really, really tasty. <laughs> no, it's very dry. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Now you know what a carrot yeah. tobacco okay. is. Okay. Uh, by the way, Dr. History and his uh, uh, escapades are brought to you by our dear friends at Minicasha Sales. And they're located at 1321 East Main Street in Burley. I'm sure you've been there, Doc. Got to stop in and see Zach and the crew. All the windows. Upgrade your windows right now to save on your heating bills with the western windows. Check out all the lumber packages maybe you need a new door they can help on everything right there at minicasha sales also they've got the target from and ranch gates and panels right there at minicasha sales 1321 east main street in burley right across from the airport and they bring you dr history now let's go back and uh, see if the young boys are starting to chew that tobacco all right so here we have the uh, a stolen horse captains are not happy with that the indians are coming bearing gifts and these are the teton sioux now to their dismay the captains quickly discovered that their guide could not speak the language Oh, that's great. That's, uh, yeah. So Lewis handed out some medals. You know, they made medals to give out yeah. uh, to the various Indians uh, and gifts to the chiefs. And he designated one guy named Black Buffalo as the leading chief and gave him a medal. It gave him a red military coat, a nice hat. Uh, the other two chiefs got medals. And as far as the captains were concerned, that was a good deal. How did they know 
Lewis and Clark and his party that they needed to have gifts to give to the Indians? You know, that's a good question because I know that was a kind of a common thing among uh, with our government is making these medals to give out to, to Indians, yeah. to the chiefs. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so the Indians are saying, hey, that's all you're going to give us? Uh, some worthless medals and a dumb hat. <laughs> so, anyway, you wouldn't have made a very good chief. I wouldn't have, but uh, you know, sensing the discontent, especially from Black Buffalo, the captains invited the chiefs on board their boat, where they gave each of them a quarter glass of whiskey. Ah, uh, now you're talking. The chiefs were exceedingly fond of that, and but they soon became a little troublesome. You know, can you imagine what the first taste of that whiskey was for those chiefs? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Yeah. So Clark detailed a party of seven men to help him put the chiefs ashore. The chiefs resisted and had to be forced into a canoe. And when it landed, three warriors seized the the boat. Uh Now, Black Buffalo declared that uh, they would not go on, uh, stating that he had not received enough presents. He wanted more. He wanted more. And his insults became personal. He demanded a canoe load of presents before he would allow the expedition to go on. So what does one do? Well, this is where it gets a little interesting. This is where it could have gotten really bad. Clark would take no more. He drew out his sword. On the keelboat, Lewis ordered the men to prepare for action. The swivel gun was loaded with 16 musket balls. The blunderbusses were loaded with buckshot. The men loaded their rifles and prepared to fire. Okay. Mm. Now, up on the bank, 20 yards from Clark, some warriors saw Lewis preparing the swivel gun, and they began to back away. But others strung their bows and took out their arrows and began to cock their guns. They had some guns as well, actually. 20 yards? Yeah, We're that's talking not very far. from the pitcher's mound to home plate. Yeah. So it was a dramatic moment. Had Lewis cried fire and touched the fuse to the swivel gun, the whole history of North America might have been changed. Now... Here is a possible scenario. Oh, okay. this let's ought pre- to be good. This pretend, let's pretend that this happened. Okay. Okay. So the cannon roared, spitting out 16 musket balls. The blunderbusses roared, spitting out buckshot. The muskets roared, spitting out their aimed lead bullets. Sioux warriors were mowed down by the dozens. But there were still hundreds of warriors on the bank. And even as the smoke lifted, they filled the air with arrows and kept them coming. For they could reload and fire at a much faster pace than the American soldiers. Lewis and Clark, prime targets, went down with the captains incapacitated or dead. The survivors got into the killboat, pushed off, and retreated downriver. In short, had the cannon fired, there might have been no Lewis and Clark expedition. The exploration of the Missouri River country and Oregon would have been done by others at a later time. So... Uh, meanwhile, now we're going to keep going here. Meanwhile, the Sioux would have been enemies of the Americans and in possession of the biggest arsenal on the Great Plains because they would have now had the the guns. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And for some time to come, they would have had the numbers and the weapons to turn back any expedition that the United States would send up the Missouri. So they would have had increased their trade with the British Northwest Company coming out of Canada in the War of 1812. They would have been. British allies. Oh, we could have so, had a major problem. Yeah, uh, for years. So, yeah. anyway, the confrontation on the riverbank was threatening to make it impossible for Lewis to carry out his orders with regard to the Sioux to make a good impression and to make them friends of the United States. So, anyway, Lewis refused to back down, and nor would Clark. 
he kept his sword out. They were these guys were Virginia gentlemen who had been challenged. Now you just don't challenge these guys. And Are they the guys that go down. out and have that gentlemanly uh, uh, duel? duel? Yeah. yeah. So they were ready to fight. They oh, weren't going to back down. Uh-huh. So. Anyway, so the white leaders pushed the moment to crisis. Luckily for them, one of the other Indian leaders stepped forward to kind of calm things down. Black Buffalo seized the tow line from the three warriors that was holding the canoe. The Indians kept their bow strung. Lewis remained at full alert, ready to fire. Disaster had been avoided, but the crisis kind of continued. Clark turned to the Indians. He made threats. He said he had more medicine on board. His boat would then kill 20 such nations in one day. He told Black Buffalo that the expedition must and would go on. How much of the threat the Indians understood, we don't know, uh, because they didn't speak the language, but uh, Clark's body language spoke enough. So before he could set off for the keelboat, Black Buffalo and two warriors waited after him. They indicated that they wanted to sleep aboard the boat. Now, we're not done yet. <laughs> We've still got some things going on here. Okay. Okay. They wanted to come aboard the boat and sleep overnight. Black Buffalo. Well, it was a sleepover. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the first meeting between the Sioux and the Americans had gone badly. At least no shots had rung out and no arrows had been launched. And in the morning, the captain set out early. Uh, the banks were lined with hundreds of curious but anxious Indians. Uh, Black Buffalo's request, the expedition came to and anchored near his village. Oh, my. So, anyway, Black Buffalo invited Lewis to visit his village because things had kind of calmed down. So the chief appeared uh, disposed to make up and be friendly, so Lewis consented. So Lewis visited the village. They went in. There was about 100 teepees, a population of about 900 Indians. 900? How many guys were in the force? Um, I think uh, there's less than 100, I believe. That's not good odds. So in the late afternoon, Clark and the entire party went party went into the village <laughs> you're having a hard time today, aren't you <laughs> anyway so lewis and clark uh, they went into this uh, council lodge in the middle of the village oh boy now inside the council lodge there were 70 elders prominent warriors they this were, is a big lodge this is a big lodge like an elk's lodge yeah, or they were they sat in a circle yeah. and they were smoking the peace pipe oh yeah you know what was in there <laughs> yeah but black buffalo spoke uh, but the captains could not make out what he was saying Obviously, but uh, beyond that, the Sioux were poor, and the Americans should have pity on them and give them something. They still wanted more gifts. Yeah. And at this point, his people were about to hold what they called a scalp dance. Now, that could make you a little nervous if you have your scalp. A little. So, now, this was the first Sioux scalp dance ever seen by Americans. I see. Now, here's what happened. About ten musicians, they were called, playing on some type of a tambourine-type thing, uh, began to sing. Yeah. Uh, The women came forward, and they proceeded to dance. Uh Uh-huh. And this went on until about midnight. Now, Black Buffalo offered the the captains, you know, to come back the next day. And uh, so, in the morning... Clark, Lewis and Clark went back to the village. Uh, that evening, there was another scalp dance. Lewis and Clark still having their scalps. In the morning, the expedition prepared to set out. At that moment, the Tetons appeared on the bank in great numbers. This isn't good. Well armed. And as I mentioned, there were at least 900. Yeah, 900. Now, Black Buffalo came on board and asked the captains to say one more day. Well, Clark threw a carrot of tobacco on the bank. 
Black Buffalo stepped forward. He declared the expedition free to go. If only the captains would give some more tobacco. The captains refused. And Black Buffalo, he said, uh, you know, you didn't give us much. You gave us some tobacco, three three carrots of tobacco. And uh, the warriors holding the bow line with that Black, Black Buffalo jerked the line from their hands. The boat was cast, cast off. And the Teton confrontation was over. Wow. What a movie. So... What could have been a disaster and the end and ramifications later in the War of 1812. Yeah, and Sacagawea. I mean, all those things. Wow. So, you know. There you are. You are the expert. Doctor History has led us down a narrow, dark trail of fear. Something that could have happened in our nation's history. It didn't. Thank goodness. Thank goodness to some carrots of tobacco. Carrots of... You better not say that too much. There are those in the audience. Anyway, uh, that was a good story. And I, how much of that do you really honestly, we've got a minute left here, really honestly believe is historical fact? Well, there are quotes from his uh, journal. There are actually quotes that I've read here a little yeah. bit. The unfortunate part, as I mentioned, is that there's so much that... He had to have written, but we don't know what happened. Okay, call her real fast. You only got 10 seconds. Go fast. Sounds like today everybody wants more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more, more carrots. Uh, give me more. More carrots all the time. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Dr. History.